0: Coming up on Philosophy Talk, the philosophy of John Rawls. Suppose you were designing a state from scratch. There's gonna be a butcher, a baker, and a candlestick maker. We have to decide who gets paid how much. How can they do that fairly? Rawls says, go behind the veil of ignorance. Make them decide
1: before they know which role they're going to play. Justice as fairness, equality, John Rawls and a liberal tradition. Justice was the centerpiece of John Rawls' philosophy. Justice and the difference principle.
0: When are inequalities okay? How do we decide? Our guest is Joshua
1: Cohen from Stanford University. The philosophy of John Rawls. Coming up on Philosophy Talk after the news.
0: Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything, except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of (laughs)
1: KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus.
0: Today, the philosophy of John Rawls, one of the most influential political philosophers of the 20th century. Rawls articulated a
1: vision of the liberal state focused on the principle of justice. Rawls' most significant book was probably his theory of justice. Continuing the ideas of Locke and others, Rawls maintains that the best way to think of the state is as the result of a social contract. Think of the beginning of our Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights. And then here's the important part that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. It's that last idea that governments are instituted among men, or humans at any rate, for a purpose. And so the powers of government are limited by this original agreement or social contract.
0: But unlike our founding fathers, Rawls doesn't argue that... They come from God as the source of rights. The social contract theorists in the modern tradition say that the control that the state has over its citizens and the control citizens have over themselves somehow comes right out of that social contract.
1: And they don't necessarily think of the social contract as an actual event. It's a framework for thinking about what's fair and just. What would people agree to? What control would they agree to cede to the state, and what would they reserve for themselves if they were forming a state?
0: And Rawls's vision of this social contract has this really special twist. He thinks of the deciders, the people negotiating the contract, that, that they should operate behind what he calls the veil of ignorance.
1: But, Ken, that's weird. Usually, if people are negotiating an important contract, you don't want them to be ignorant. What's the point?
0: Well, it's a very clever idea that Rawls has that's designed to ensure that the contract will be fair, that the participants will negotiate in a disinterested way. Disinterested,
1: not uninterested. Disinterested meaning having no stake in the outcome, like a judge should be. But if the negotiators are ultimately governed by the state they're creating they will have a stake in the outcome. How can they possibly be disinterested?
0: Well, that's the really clever part, John. Uh, Well, it's going to take a little setup to explain how clever this is. We can talk about the roles people will be playing in the state after it's constituted. But for illustration, let's just suppose there's going to be butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers.
1: That's sort of cutesy,
0: Ken, but go on. Well, these these negotiators operating behind this veil of ignorance, they have to decide who gets what kind of role and what rewards and benefits go with this role without knowing which role they're going to play. So the negotiators will try to figure out a system so that whatever role they eventually end up playing themselves, they can be sure of being treated fairly. The candlestick maker will know that his candlestick making salary and candlestick maker duties are something that he has agreed to as fair before he knew that he was going to be that candlestick maker.
1: Well, I think if I were negotiating behind the veil of ignorance, the safest thing would be to say that everybody should be treated the same, equally. Everybody should have the same salary, the same hours, the same voting privileges, absolute equality.
0: And, you know, and Rawls thinks that way, too, to a certain extent. The principle of equality, as he calls it, is the first principle of justice. And with respect to political rights, voting rights, property rights, and things like that, uh, there are no exceptions.
1: But, but Ken, you said to a certain extent. What's the qualification well, he's,
0: there? Well, he's got this second principle, what he calls the difference principle. According to this, for example, certain jobs can get higher salaries and other benefits as long as those people getting higher salary and benefits works to the advantage of everyone, especially the least well-off. Uh, tell me more. Well, look, imagine that being a butcher or being a, a baker— uh... is something easy and lots of people would do it you know and you don't have to incentivize and being a candlestick maker is really hard and onerous and nobody really wants to do it but the society can't survive without the candles right so you say well look what's what we'll do we we'll pay the candlestick makers a little more and that way not just the candlestick makers will be better off but everybody else will be better off too because we'll get our candles
1: well that, that makes sense can that explains why you and i get the big bucks uh, we have this long apprenticeship to become wise, and then we have we do all this tremendous good for society. But I'm not sure it works with investment bankers. Well,
0: yeah, I'm not sure about that either. You know, there are lots of details and problems and criticisms uh, of Rawls's theory. And to help us with all this and to tell us about the major objections and, and the major applications, we've got one of the major political philosophers of the 21st century. That's Stanford's own Josh Cohen, a man who actually studied with John Rawls.
1: And we hope to get our listeners engaged, too. The number to call is 1-800-525-9917. That's 1-800-525-9917.
0: And how well does the United States measure up to Rawls' ideas? Our roving philosophical reporter, Zoe Corneli, asked everyday people what they think. She files this report.
2: I approached a lot of people in downtown San Francisco and asked them all the same question. Do you think the distribution of wealth in the United States is fair? The answer was the same every time. No. I don't know, I just think the rich stay rich and the poor stay poor. That's how it is. Heck no. It's been getting worse
1: over the last eight years in particular. But I think for longer than that it's been getting much worse. Distribution has been getting more and more polarized. Fat cats get fatter and, uh, you know, there is no Robin Hood figure in our, in, in our world right now. You know, regardless of who you voted for,
2: Research shows the income gap in the United States has been widening for decades, and it's been growing faster in recent years. During the presidential campaign, then-candidate Barack Obama got a lot of attention, positive and negative, for telling Joe the plumber he wanted to redistribute wealth. Your new tax plan is gonna
1: tax me more, isn't it? It's not that I wanna punish your success, I just wanna make sure that everybody who is behind you, that they've got a chance at success, too. I think when you spread the wealth around, it's good for everybody.
2: So how does that play on the streets of San Francisco? April Rickefort says it's a nice idea, but... I mean, how is he gonna do that? He's not gonna go into rich people's pockets and take their money and give it to other people, so he must be magic if he can do that. <laughs> I mean, I hope he can do it, that'd be cool.
0: I think Barack Obama, he has a whole lot of ideas. I just hope he could really just put them into fruition.
2: Mark Andrew is hawking his rap CD to passersby, but he takes a break to speculate on what a fair distribution of wealth would look like.
0: There's a lot of people that. They're rich and they don't give back, and they just want to keep their money. Like they want to make their money. I mean, I feel them. Like you want to just give your money out to like a random person that's not gonna like, you know what I mean, do something. But it's kind of like we gotta think of the greater good. So I feel like professions that have people that, that really affect society, I feel like they should get paid a little bit more. I think teachers are like on the on the spectrum. They're like kind of hot, high, the, the highest up. I feel like because they they directly affect kids.
2: To Barbara Forsberg, fairness means taking care of the neediest in society.
1: I guess my main concern would be that there not there be a certain floor below which people are not allowed to fall. Then if people want to work harder or, you know, go above and beyond for their own individual gain, good for them. But below a certain level, it's not good for society.
2: Joyce Wagner says she and her husband have worked hard to build their own wealth. He was a missile engineer and i raised four daughters and since we were raised in the 30s we were frugal and we lived within our means saved for our future and we feel that we certainly have earned our wealth. She says now at 78 and 80 they are financially secure and while they've always gladly paid their share of taxes we certainly don't want to give up everything we have because we did sacrifice for it for people who think, well, I'll get mine whether I do it or not. Maybe the only way to get a truly equitable distribution of wealth is to eliminate it altogether. That's what Sam Bossen thinks anyway.
1: In a perfect world for me, I would say that there wouldn't be money and there wouldn't be like a a hierarchy and there wouldn't be like a a this, that, and the other thing, but that's not going to happen.
2: For Philosophy Talk, I'm Zoe Corneli.
0: You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.